0: all right good morning everyone thank you all for coming out on a beautiful snowy morning hi ellie (laughs) hi ellie hi hi so glad that you all are here let me open us in a word of prayer and uh, then we will continue on Good morning, Father. I thank you for a beautiful snowfall to wake up to this morning, and I thank you for bringing all of these brothers and sisters here together this morning. Um, Lord, I am thankful for each one and the ways that they serve through their presence and sharing their gifts um, and in ways that are seen and unseen in our church family. I pray now that in this time we would be able to encourage one another, that we would be strengthened, and equipped as members of the household of faith uh, to continue doing good for one another, um, that we would not grow weary but would be strengthened for that work and nourished for it. So we offer up this time to you and pray that your spirit would come and teach us, encourage us, and nourish us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome to our wintertime leader gathering. Uh, As many of you know, we do these leader gatherings twice a year, um, in August and in January, as a way of um, encouraging and equipping those of you who are serving in various leadership roles in our church, um, or who may be at some point in time. Um, But we also always hope that these also equip you and encourage you for the other ways that you are serving um, in life, in, in your career careers, in your neighboring, in your friendships. So we hope that this will be of benefit in both ways, although I will say that today's topic is very much church-focused and focused on serving together in our church family. Um, So this is very much a family conversation, um, a conversation that, that will harken back a little bit to some things that you may have talked about in membership class, which some of you was like two months ago, and some of you was like... Uh, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Um, So wherever you are in that, we are just glad that you're here this morning and looking forward to the conversations that we're going to have. And we always start this time with laying out this goal that we have for all of us as leaders in the church, that our goal, and this is on the top of your handout, which if you have not grabbed one, they're in the center of your table, that our goal as leaders is to create and sustain an environment in which trust can be built and your group, whatever that may be, your community group, your children's ministry classroom, your nursery classroom, um, your Bible study small group can grow in maturity in Christ as we embody and extend the gospel to one another. So that is our overarching goal in leadership. Um, And we are continuing towards that goal this morning. Um, And we often start our time in Ephesians 4, which is there at the top of your handout. But um, today we're really going to be focusing on Galatians. And uh, many of you studied Galatians with us back in the fall. Um, And so I wanted to start out, uh, as we think about Galatians, we've got our uh, acrostic about Paul that uh, the women created at our final Galatians Bible study in the fall as we reviewed Galatians. So I just kept that up there as a little uh, souvenir of our women's time together. Guys, I don't know if you did an acrostic about Paul for your last study. I'm guessing maybe not. Okay, that's all right. Uh, But as we think about the book of Galatians, for those of you who studied it with us in the fall, What are a couple of things that we learned from Galatians about who we are and what we have in Christ? Does anyone remember some things that we learned about who we are and what we have in Christ from Galatians? We are
1: adopted. Yeah. justified in Christ? Anything else you'd add to that list? That's a good list. So as we think about who we are in Christ, as people who
0: are adopted, who are heirs, who are justified by Christ, not by what we do, and who are free, and free to serve one another in love, as Paul said. Our response to what Christ has done for us comes in Galatians 6. And I'm going to read Galatians 6, 1 through 10 for us, and we're just going to zero in on a couple of verses, um, but I'll read this whole section for us so that we know where we are. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that's why we are here this morning, because we want to talk about how we bear one another's burdens, how we don't grow weary in doing good because we are called to do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith. But when we think about where we are, I know what drew many of you and what caught your attention this morning was that line in the blurb about where we are in our cultural moment. we think about living in a culture of burnout and isolation and consumerism, Paul says not to grow weary in doing good but we are in a moment culturally and personally where we are weary. Um, Dan, if you'll put the next slide up. Jake Meter, um, who is um, a friend friend of friends of ours um, and a writer and a thinker, um, wrote an article for The Atlantic last summer um, called The Misunderstood Reason Millions of Americans Have Stopped Going to Church and it's an article that got a lot of buzz, and he wrote this, among other things, in the article. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. The underlying challenge for many is that their lives are stretched like a rubber band about to snap, and church attendance, and I would add church involvement, ends up feeling like an item on a checklist that's already too long. Take, take a minute and read back over that. And just say out loud to someone around your table, what's something in that or related to that that resonates with you? What's a word or just a, a thought based off of that that resonates with you? Just say a word or two to someone sitting next to you. We've got some seats here in the front. There's a couple seats at the table in the back. We can also pull more chairs around the tables. And if you don't have a handout, make sure that you grab one off a table somewhere. All right, as folks continue settling in. So I think this resonates a lot with where we are right now and how we feel. In a, uh, this past summer, we read a book called In Good Time by Jen Pollock-Michelle, and she said in that book that we fear the cost of belonging. We default to resisting the demands of love, that belonging brings both blessings and burdens, but we tend to want to avoid or fear those burdens. Jake Meter goes on to say, The problem in front of us is not that we have a healthy, sustainable society that doesn't have room for church. The problem is that many Americans have adopted a way of life that has left us lonely, anxious, and uncertain of how to live in community with other people. So what he's saying here is, it's not that everything else in our culture is so great that we're all getting our needs met and we are all healthy and thriving without church. Saying we're struggling so much in our general culture and it is so broken that we don't have it in us to come and get what we need in the church community and to have our needs met and to be able to meet the needs of others in community in the way that we are meant to. And I think we feel that when it comes to thinking about the opportunities that are presented to us in the church. When you hear about opportunities to serve, when you get a text or an email from someone on staff, or when your community group host asks you to help out with something, when you hear a ministry spotlight on Sunday morning, what is it that goes through your mind as you hear those asks, as you hear about the needs, as you hear about the opportunities in front of us? In his book, You're Only Human, Kelly Capick, who is a professor at Covenant College in Chattanooga, says, talks about how he feels he goes, he goes to a large church where there are constant appeals for help. And he says, amid this cascade of appeals, I often see two kinds of response. On the one hand, some with tender hearts and active consciences try to figure out how much they can do, signing up for everything that is presented to them. As a consequence, they are racing down the road toward burnout. On the other hand, those who have experienced or witnessed burnout or who are, all, who are already consumed by their personal lives go to the other extreme. They shut their ears to the requests, sometimes claiming that the church is trying to do too much. Compassion fatigue has set in, so they don't end up helping with anything. They come to listen and leave immediately afterward, or they might even just stop coming. So we see those two responses, either do everything or do nothing. Think for yourself, which way do you tend to respond? Or maybe the better question is, right now, in this season of life that you're in, which way are you inclined to respond? Do you tend towards saying yes to everything? Do you tend towards doing nothing, shutting your ears? Uh, church but it could also be in general but we're talking a lot of as we continue talking a lot of what we're talking about is specifically thinking about the household of faith and our life together in the community of the church so do everything or do nothing and wherever you land what do you think is behind that what is it that's motivating you he talks a little bit about that um, whether it's maybe a fear of burnout Or maybe it's a fear that if you don't say yes, things aren't going to happen that need to happen. What is it that motivates the way that you respond? And maybe think about others that you're in relationship with in the church. How do you see them tending to respond? And what do you think might be behind that? I'm going to ask for a moment of optional vulnerability. You don't have to participate, but if you want to participate, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you are a do everything. Okay. Raise your hand if you are a do nothing. I'm going to be honest, that's me lately. So yes, and thank you to those of you who opted out of raising your hand. That's okay, too. But as we think about those tendencies that we all fight with and fight against, Kelly Capick says, there's got to be a third way. He says, surely there are more than these two options, do everything or do nothing. To discover the third way, we need to recall that we are, by God's good design, finite creatures who must always depend on him and on each other. We never graduate from such healthy dependence. These aspects of our being indicate another path which rather than pursuing the exhausting race of personal accomplishment or the deadening act of shutting down, we instead encourage a community of belonging. I'm going to read that one more time. To discover the third way, we need to recall that we are, by God's good design, finite creatures who must always depend on him and on each other. We never graduate from such healthy dependence. These aspects of our being indicate another path, which rather than pursuing the exhausting race of personal accomplishment or the deadening act of shutting down, we instead encourage a community of belonging. Says we never graduate from healthy dependence. So I have another question for you. When it comes to dependence, which is a word that you're going to hear more than once this morning, do you struggle more with letting yourself depend on others or letting others depend on you? Is it harder for you to let yourself depend on others or to let others depend? On you. Your answers may or may not be similar to the do everything and do nothing. They truly may or may not be similar but these are things that we need to think about what's going on inside of us as we think about what it is to be in community with one another and as we think about that healthy God-given dependence that we so readily resist and fight against, right? How many of you have kids who are in that stage of, I can do it myself, right? And a lot of us never leave that stage. So as we think about what it means to encourage a community of belonging where we have this healthy dependence, That's where we're going to talk about what it means to be in the household of faith. Paul talks about the church. He uses a lot of different metaphors for the church, but one of them is the household of faith. So for a good working definition of household, We're going to look at, um, we're going to revisit a book that we read two summers ago, The Life We're Looking For, by Andy Crouch, um, who talks about household. He talks about what it is to be in community with one another as a household. And this is what he says. A household is both place and people. Or maybe better, it is a particular people with a particular place. A household is a community of persons, who may well take shelter under one roof, but also and more fundamentally take shelter under one another's care and concern. They provide for one another and they depend on one another. They mingle their assets and their liabilities, their gifts and their vulnerabilities in such a way that it is hard to tell where one members end and another members begin. So as a household is a place where we can channel our emotions and longings be known in our unique depth of self, contribute to understanding and interpreting the world, and apply our body's strength and agility to worthwhile work. It's a place where we can invest ourselves deeply in others, come to care about their flourishing, and give ourselves away in mutual service and sacrifices, and sacrifice in ways that secure our own identities instead of erasing them in ways that secure our own identities instead of erasing them. So good that that's repeated in the last line there. So this is the vision of what it means to be in a household. And if you look on your handout, um, and I think maybe on the next slide, we zero in on this section, a place where we can channel our emotions and longings, be known in our unique depth of self, contribute to understanding and interpreting the world, and apply our body's strength and agility to worthwhile work.
1: And if, if any of you recall from reading Andy's book, he talked a lot about what it is to be full people, to be fully human. So if you look at these four aspects of being part of the household, a place where we can channel our emotions and our longings, That's where we tend to our hearts. Be known in our unique depth of self. That's the soul. Contribute to understanding and interpreting the world. Engaging and caring for one another's minds.
0: Applying our body's
1: strength and agility to worthwhile work. So that's our strength. this look familiar? Heart, soul, mind, strength. What are we supposed to do with these things? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and
0: strength. And love our neighbors as ourselves. So when we think about doing good to one another in the household of faith, it's doing good as whole persons for whole persons. It's doing good as people who are heart, soul, mind, strength creatures for one another, for others who are heart, soul, mind, strength creatures. And we're tending to one another's emotional, relational, intellectual, and physical needs. And Paul, as Paul writes, both in Galatians and elsewhere, we are called to place a priority on doing that for one another in the household of faith. We are certainly called to do this for everyone that we meet in various ways, but we are especially called to do this in the household of faith. So as we think about what is distinct about the household of faith, one of the big distinctions that we come to and one of the things that we wrestle with in our cultural moment is the difference between being consumers and being covenant keepers. So when you think about consuming, we spend much of our lives as consumers of products, of media, um, of various things. Talk a little bit around your tables. What is something, think about a time lately where you have been shopping or where you have been watching something. What is something that you have consumed lately? Talk a little bit around your tables about just something that you have consumed lately had Christmas, so you probably did some shopping. Maybe talk about your favorite Christmas gift or a Christmas gift that you bought for someone else. Aaron Butler wants to tell everyone about his new record player. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so in your conversations around your tables, tell me some words or themes that maybe stood out to you as you thought about Products or pieces of media, things that you have consumed. What are some some words, some themes that come out when we talk about being consumers?
1: Instant, yeah. What else? Mindless. Killing time. Killing time. Any podcast you listen to now, it's rate us, give us stars, write a review. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big way of engaging and think something that is distinct about our consumerism, especially in this day and age. Yeah, anything else that you would add to this? Self-green. me something so i should get you something that's not the most life-giving thing right so this is our consumer culture
0: and as we are spending a lot of our hours and our days as consumers even thinking about woo what you said about feedback that comes into play in classrooms i know college professors who are just agonizing over the pressure of the feedback that they may or may not get from their students and the ways that that is going to impact potentially the future of their career and the way that that binds them because their students are coming in with this consumeristic mentality and I think that's something that we can all kind of see in ourselves that we grow that critical mindset as we think about oh what kind of feedback would I give to this what kind of review would I write Maybe some of you are thinking about that even now of this training. <laughs> you know, maybe. But the distinction between how we spend our time as consumers in our culture, that can follow us into how we engage with the church, right? Think about the classic term, church shopping, right? That says something about how we are leaning into the church, but that is not what Paul was talking about when he wrote about the household of faith, right? He was talking about something very different. He was talking about a place where we would have not be consumers, but covenant keepers in relationship with one another. Christine Pohl um, was a writer who um, did a lot of work on hospitality and community. You've probably heard me quote her a number of times before. And in her book on community, she talks about four practices that strengthen and bind communities together. And the four practices that she talks about are hospitality, gratitude, truth telling, and promise keeping. And we're going to focus on what she says about promise keeping. She says, when we make a promise, we voluntarily obligate ourselves to perform some future course of action, often for another person's benefit. In doing this, we reach into an uncertain and unpredictable future with the intention of binding ourselves to someone or something. It is our intention in the present then that shapes or affects the future. We make and depend on promises because we know that as human beings, we are often inconsistent, and we find it hard to live and love without some assurances. Commitment, as Margaret Farley notes, is love's way of being whole while it still grows into wholeness, and promises help us to stabilize our loves in the midst of the fickleness of our feelings. Take a minute and read through that again on your own. It's on your handout, part of it's on your handout as well. What do you find yourself drawn towards in that quote? What do you find yourself like, ooh, I don't want to? When we talk about covenant promises and making promises to one another, this is something that we don't do a whole lot of in our culture. What's like the main place? where we think about covenant, the main relationship in which we think about covenant promises in our culture today? Marriage. Yeah, that's, that's the, the main, kind of the, the most uh, front and center picture of covenant keeping. And that is something that even that we see that more and more held loosely in our culture, right? The promises of marriage. But the other place where we are in covenant relationship with one another is the church, And depending on uh, how long it's been since you went through our membership class, uh, you may or may not remember that as members of this church, we are in covenant relationship with one another. We have made promises to one another, and as part of our membership class, we go through a membership covenant together. So these are promises that we have made. You see on Sundays when members join and receive and when we have baptisms, We make promises to one another then, but we have a more extensive covenant um, that is part of our membership class, and um, we wanted to give all of us a chance to revisit that together this morning um, because this is part of what sets apart our relationships in the household of faith is this covenant and the fact that we are covenant keepers with one another. Um, So in your handout, take a look at this. Um, And we are actually going to read through this together, Um, but I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, So I will read this first paragraph, and then I'm going to ask just volunteers to pop up and read uh, each paragraph of this. So we start this covenant with a series of affirmations of what is true about who we are. And this is something that was written in uh, 2010. We started using this membership covenant as a church. It was written by our elders and pastors at the time. Um, And it's something that we've used ever since then and I think is a really beautiful part of how we establish life together as a church family. So let me start this for us. Independence upon the grace of Christ in the gospel and out of recognition that it is the quality of Christian relationships that enables the church to become a viable community of love and faith, so we will give ourselves to the following affirmations and commitments. As individuals and as members of the one body, we give ourselves to these affirmations and commitments not in any legalistic sense of wanting to bind each other beyond scripture or of wanting to pretend that we are more Christian than others, Instead, we humbly give ourselves to protecting the privileges that are offered to us as the people of God, and to taking responsibility for our behavior and actions so that we might honor the Lord, lovingly serve one another, and draw others in. I affirm personal and daily trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What that means is, will someone stand up and read that first paragraph? Keep it going. I covenant by God's grace to fully support the mission and purposes of restoration. What this means is, somebody go for it, don't be shy. I covenant to treat the
2: church's family. As such, I will do everything in my ability and with the grace that God supplies to support restoration and its leaders as a regular participant in worship, a regular participant in community life, and a regular resources to restoration as my church family, in accordance with the teachings of scripture on biblical stewardship. I covenant to be a support to the leaders and staff of restoration to do all that is
0: no better place to end than with the book of church order. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Like I said, we go over that in membership class, uh, but that's just the beginning. And it's kind of a beautiful thing to hear your voices, those of you who, with whom we've been doing this together for a while. And it's neat to hear your voices read those words and remind us all of the promises that we have made to each other. Where else in your life have you made promises like this to the people that you're in relationship with? Not your coworkers, probably. I guess I have with my coworkers, but uh, <laughs> for most of us, not our coworkers. For most of us, not our neighbors. For most of us, not our book clubs or our running clubs or other communities that we're in. And that's not to say that those relationships don't matter and aren't valuable and important in our lives. But that's to say that there is something that is special about the relationships that we have with one another in the household of faith because of the fact that we have covenanted together with one another and made those promises to each other that this would be a place where we can depend on one another. Kelly Kepik writes, God created us for mutual dependence. Um, here, I'll just read this and then put the slide up, Dan. Thanks. He um, says, God created us for mutual dependence and delight within a life-giving community. That isn't merely a goal. It's how we are built. Part of the mission of the church is to serve as such a community, thus providing an Edenic oasis, Eden like Oasis, amid this fractured world pointing toward a time when shalom will again reign unhindered. No one person can be or do everything, but together as the whole body of Christ, even in this broken world, we can recall each other and our neighbors to patterns of life that harmonize rather than conflict with the way God made us. Going to give you a chance to think about that again in just a moment, but I also want to read something else that Jake Meter wrote in his Atlantic article. As he's laid out the issues with our cultural context, the loneliness, the isolation, and the struggles that we're facing in our time. And he says, what can churches do in such a context? In theory, the Christian church could be an antidote to all that. What is more needed in our time than a community marked by sincere love sharing what they have from each according to their ability and to each according to their need, eating together regularly, generously serving neighbors, and living lives of quiet virtue and prayer. Does that sound like anything we read in our Bible reading plan this week? Anyone? Anyone? David? Acts Acts 2. Yes, yes. I knew that David... Liked Acts 2 this week because he talked about it in the group me, where we talk about the Bible reading plan. (laughs) Jake Meter goes on to say, a healthy church can be a safety net in the harsh American economy by offering its members material assistance in times of need, meals after a baby's born, money for rent after a layoff. Perhaps more important, a healthy church reminds people that their identity is not in their job or how much money they make. They are children of God, loved and protected and infinitely valuable. So, you can put that slide up, Dan. So, this is what Kelly Capick and Jake Meter say about the church. So, the question for us to think about is how does the household of faith help us to be fully human, heart, soul, mind, strength, when the rest of life may dehumanize us? Think about the patterns of life in our culture that conflict with the way that God made us. Our work lives, the rush of things, the disconnection, the isolation. Think about all the ways in which our culture would tell us that our identity is in our job or how much money we make or what we accomplish. The household of faith has the the opportunity to speak something different. What's my next slide, Dan? Thank you. You can go back to that. So part of how we do this in the church is by willingly bearing one another's burdens. That's what Paul talks about in Galatians 6. Bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ That might be the burden of raising kids. That might be the burden of caring for aging parents. Might be the burden of making major decisions or battling sickness. What does it look like? How do we bear one another's burdens in the church? And how do we do that in a time when we know that we are weary? We are all experiencing these things in our culture, too. We are all experiencing this weariness. A beautiful picture of this that I recently heard um, of what actual, a very literal way of bearing the burdens of one another in the household of faith is from a guy named Kevin Chandler. Um, This is Kevin Chandler. He is a guy who has um, spinal muscular atrophy type 2. It's a disease that renders him unable to walk. So he typically gets around in a wheelchair. But Kevin has this great group of friends who wanted to help him travel the world. And so together, they built a backpack with which you can kind of see in the picture on the right. That's a cover of the book that uh, Kevin and his friends wrote about their trip around the world, where his friends literally carried him on their backs, hiking. They traveled through Asia. They've traveled through Europe. They've been all over the place. And so they are literally carrying their friend on their backs, literally bearing that burden. And I recently heard an interview that he did where he talked about kind of the early stages of developing this backpack and planning this trip with his friends. And he and a buddy, one of the guys who was going to go on the trip, went out for a short hike one day. And he said his friend was just like heavy breathing, sweating, like he could tell this was taking a lot out of his friend to carry him. And they got back and, you know, he, he had kind of resigned himself. He was like, you know, I think this, I think this guy is going to pull out. He's going to realize this is too hard. It's not going to happen. This dream's not going to get to be lived. But instead they got home and his friend said, well, good. Now I know I need to work out some more to get ready for this trip. And I think that is such a picture of what we are called to in burden bearing is that it is not something that we are necessarily – born ready for. It's something that we have to grow and develop and build our burden bearing muscles to be able to bear one another's burdens. Just as Kevin's friends worked out and did whatever heavy lifting they had to do to get ready to carry him on their backs to have this adventure of a lifetime, we have the opportunity to grow our muscles of burden bearing, which in a lot of ways the past few years have atrophied those muscles for many of us, right? Like COVID messed with us in so many ways. It messed with our ability to do community. It put burdens on us that we were never meant to carry. Um, And it allowed us a kind of isolation and removal from each other that I think for a lot of us, these burden bearing muscles have atrophied. But to be able to bear one another's burden and burdens in the household of faith, to be able to do good to one another, we need to think about continuing to grow in those muscles and think about how we can also help others grow in that. Because as this, we are here at this leader gathering, in a lot of ways, we are preaching to the choir. But you all have people that are in your community groups that are maybe helping you out in children's worship that you're just sitting with on Sunday morning who maybe haven't had the opportunity to serve in the church yet. Um, and maybe you're in a place where you have the chance to say, Hey, how about how can I help you grow your burden-bearing muscles? How can I help you learn and grow and doing good to others in the household of faith? So as we think about that, um, there are several ways that, that whether or not you're, you're consciously aware of it, um, things that we have in place here that help us grow those muscles and that nourish us for that, right? If you're Doing uh, weight training, if you are building muscle, you need to be well-nourished for that, right? Right? I don't do this a lot, so. (laughs) Somebody nod that that is a thing that needs to happen. So ways that we are nourished. Tell me, as you just think about our life together in the church, what are some ways that nourishment is available to us in the life of our church? Communion? Yes. Did you say communion or community? Both. Okay. Okay. I gave away another answer. (laughs) Yeah, communion, what else? Community, thank you, thank you, thank you. What else? Bible study, yes. Leader gatherings, yes. Well done, well done. What else? I got a long list. Meals, yes. Yeah, sharing meals together. Other things that come to your mind? Sermons and prayer, Sermons and prayer. yeah. Testimonies. Testimonies, yeah. Hearing one another's stories, both on Sunday mornings and, and in other avenues as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, both that is that is nourishment for those who are freed up to be present in worship, but that's also nourishment for those who are serving in child care and in nursery and in children's worship, and it's nourishment for our kids as they grow in their understanding of being part of the household of faith. Yeah, all kinds of nourishment going on there. Other things that come to your mind? Music, yeah. Retreats, yeah, that time together, Solitude, yes, yeah. Yeah, individual Bible reading and prayer, individual time with the Lord, and knowing that there are others who are doing that same thing alongside you in their own homes, in their own cars, on their own walks. Yeah, when we think about the the whole of Sunday morning, as you guys have talked about so many pieces of that, the whole of Sunday morning is meant to be nourishment for us. Um, you know, and, and sermons are certainly one piece of that. Um, one thing that just we try to remind people of, you obviously if, if you are, for instance, serving in the nursery on Sunday morning, we can't uh, replicate the whole of Sunday service for you, but we do have our sermons recorded each and every Sunday um, so that if you are not able to hear the sermon because you're serving, um, you can listen to that at another point in time um, and hear and, and receive that nourishment in that way. Um, Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is a way that we are nourished and a way that we push back against the rat race of our culture. And Sabbath rest includes community. It includes gathering and worship. It includes shared meals. Um, For some of us, it includes community group on Sundays that we get to rest together with one another. With leader gathering, training and resources um, where we're equipping you and want to, to help to um, train you up and equip you for that work of bearing one another's burdens. Um, and as we think about very specific things that you might be walking with people through, um, sometimes those are things that we can't do a massive training on. But we as staff, as elders, would love to just talk with you and say, hey, how can we support you as you walk with this church member through what they're going through, um, how can we give you resources? How can we pray with you? Um, what can we make available to you? And as we serve, as we try things, um, having the opportunity to practice, to maybe try something—maybe you haven't tried teaching children before—but um, there's the opportunity to try that, to learn, to grow, to maybe take a risk and, and see—you know, this this could go badly, but it'll be okay. But it could also go well. And it's something that I could learn and grow in and maybe even discover that I love and am gifted in. So we also have that safety and freedom to try things and maybe fail, but also but to fail forward, as Tasha Chapman taught us last year at Leader Gathering, um, and to grow in that. And another way that we are nourished in community for the work of doing good together is by promise-keeping. We come back to that covenant-keeping. Christine Pohl says, promises and structures may constrain our behavior, but they also anchor us so that we can pursue what we most desire or value. The essential nourishment of healthy communities is fidelity to the thousand and one small demands of each day. It is an important insight that promise-keeping and fidelity are fundamentally nourishing. They are life giving, not first of all troublesome or costly, but nourishing. We may feel like it's going to be troublesome or costly to make a promise to someone, to keep a promise to someone, but that is not the primary thing that it is. It is primarily nourishing. And we're reminded of, of what we are doing together as a church community when we look at our logo. This is our logo. And one of the things that we see when we look at this, those four dots in the middle, think about people coming together. Those are people gathering together, as we do here, as we're doing here right now. And then we go out to the various places, as you see kind of those little pathways out. We go out to different places. We come together to be restored, and we are sent out to pursue restoration in the places that we go to throughout the week. And then we do it all over again, right? We get to do that week in and week out. Every time that we are gathering together as a church community, whether it's on Sunday mornings, whether it's Bible study or community group, we are gathering together to be restored so that we can be sent out to pursue restoration. So that the relationships that we have here and the ways that we are growing in Christ together can help us to bear the burdens of everyday life and can help us to bear one another's burdens. But there's something else you may have noticed at the end of our um, covenant, or the end of the affirmations um, on our church covenant that we talk about drawing others in. That that is part of our focus, not only to just focus in on the community that we have here, but to draw others in. And Christine Pohl talks about what's at stake with our life together in the church. She says, The best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. Jesus risked his reputation and the credibility of his story by tying them to how his followers live and care for one another in community. If we could cut through our complacency or despair, we might be shocked at what is really at stake here. The character of our shared life as congregations, communities, and families has the power to draw people to the kingdom or to push them away. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. I think that is illustrated really well in this video uh, that we're going to watch. From our friend, the barrister. So think for a moment, for Steve the barrister, it was serving coffee. What is something, a way that you have served in the church that has stirred up your love for God's people in the way that serving coffee did for him? Lawyer, lawyer, (laughs) British lawyer. What's a way that serving in the church has stirred up your love for God's people. Think about that for yourself for a moment. And how might thinking about that encourage you to invite others into serving? That person probably, whoever asked him to do coffee, probably didn't know how that was going to change his life. but he is someone who loves Jesus and loves the church because he was asked to serve coffee one day. And it changed everything. And I think part of the reason that it made that change is because when we are serving together in the household of faith, the things we do mean something different than if we were just doing these tasks in an ordinary way. Think for a moment, jot down on your paper, what are two or three tasks that you do in the course of however you serve in the church? So that might be practicing music, that might be changing a diaper in the nursery, that might be reviewing your children's worship lesson, might be sending yet another email to your community group. Jot down two or three particular tasks that relate to your area of service in the church. I need a volunteer to come up here and help me with something. Adrian, thanks for volunteering. Okay, you're gonna drop these pebbles into that bowl. I need a few of you to call out one of the, call out the, ta- one of the tasks that you wrote down, and Adrian's going to drop a pebble for each task that you name. CG Hosts, what's like a task that CG Hosts do? Yeah opening, your house. yeah, opening your house, drop a pebble in the water. Filling up cups of Cheerios, up cups of Cheerios. yes, in the nursery. <laughs> I mean, if that's how your CG rolls, that's great. Okay, drop a pebble for uh, filling up Cheerio cups. Wiping snot, yes. Yes, uh uh-huh, drop a pebble. Yes, two pebbles, meals and emails. Opening the front door on Sunday morning in the cold. What was that? Yeah, that should be five pebbles. You can drop an extra one for that because it's cold. One or two more? Reading. Reading? Greeting. Greeting, yes. Cleaning up after events. So... Is anything happening in that little bowl of water now that those pebbles have been dropped? Water levels rising. rising. Yeah. Is anything else going to happen if we leave that bowl here? Is anything going to change in it other than maybe some evaporation? We've got some dirt and we've got some seeds because when Paul talks about doing good to one another in the household of faith, he's talking in agricultural terms of reaping and sowing. So we're not just dropping pebbles into the water. We're actually planting seeds. So so really nothing's happening there. So do you want to plant some seeds? Huh? Here. So, drop a seed in for opening the door. Cheerios. greeting snot out uh, yes you can't see, you can't see them, but they're in there i've got some too, so this is. So all those little tasks are seeds that we're planting. They're not just pebbles that we're dropping and walking away from. In the household of faith, they are seeds that we are planting. But you know what I need now? These seeds are going to grow. Anyone have some water? Like, for real, anyone else have some water? Kat, will you bring some water up here and water these seeds? Thank you. Beautiful. So that's the other thing about these tasks that we do. One of us is going to toss the seed in. One of us is going to come along and water. Think about who's already done that for you in your life. Think about the ways that you are a living, breathing tomato plant that has grown out of seeds that someone else planted. We tend to think and act like what we're doing is dropping pebbles in the water. We can walk away, it made no difference. But what we're actually doing is planting seeds. And we're not going to see the difference right away. We're not going to see the fruit. And we can't actually control how the fruit's going to grow. But we can do our part to plant those seeds and know that in time. There will be growth that comes from that because of God's work. And as we invite others into that, we know that we are inviting them into, even if it's just making coffee, that is not just a pebble in the water. It's a seed being planted. Because there is something different that happens when we do good to one another in the household of faith. I'm going to read uh, that last quote again from Kelly Capek about what we're made for. So God created us for mutual dependence and delight within a life-giving community. That isn't merely a goal. It is how we are built. Part of the mission of the church is to serve as such a community, thus providing an Edenic oasis. That's garden language amid this fractured world, pointing toward a time when shalom will again reign unhindered. No one person can be or do everything. But together as the whole body of Christ, even in this broken world, we can recall each other and our neighbors to patterns of life that harmonize rather than conflict with the way that God made us. So as we think about doing good to one another in the household of faith, that's what we want to be about about tending this garden, about giving one another and any who come into this place and into this community a glimpse of something different than what the world offers us. As we keep those covenant promises to one another, as we do good to one another in the household of faith, knowing that those are seeds that are being planted and that we will get to see those seeds grow. We will get to see the fruit of seeds that others have planted. That's what we're experiencing in many ways in this room this morning, that I am blessed because of the ways that others have sown into you over the course of your life. And others will be blessed by the ways that you are sowing into the people into this, in this room, the people in our church, the kids in our classrooms, that there will be fruit that comes from that, and that that is a blessing to one another and to the watching world. So we are going to uh, transition in just a few minutes. Um, Our next-gen volunteers are going to go into the youth room with Zach and Abigail. Um, Our community group hosts are going to stay here um, and meet with John. And uh, the rest of you are free to leave, free to hang out in the lobby, um, whatever you would like to do. Um, But we are going to close our time in prayer. Um, as we um, think about um, the labors that we are doing together. And just as I needed Kat to come and water these seeds, we need one another for these labors. We need one another to bear burdens together, to do good to one another so that we do not grow weary. We need to remind one another of what's true. We need to remind one another that we are not alone in this work. And we need to remind one another of who God is for us and that he is for us. Um, So we'll close with a portion of a liturgy for the labors of community from every moment holy. Um, And I will read the non-bold parts if you will join me on the bold parts, which in this slide are all at the bottom. I think the next slide is just me and then the last slide is all of us. Um, So pray with me. Lord, may our acts of service and creation Frail and wanting as they are, be met and multiplied by the mysterious workings of your Spirit, who weaves all things together toward a redemption more good and glorious than we yet have eyes to see or courage to hope for. May our love and our labors now echo your love and your labors, O Lord. Let all that we do here, in these our brief lives, in this our brief moment to love, In this, the work you have ordained for this community, flower and winsome and beautiful foretaste of greater glories yet to come. O Spirit of God, now shape our hearts. O Spirit of God, now guide our hands. O Spirit of God, now build your kingdom among us. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Next Gen can go to the youth room. Community group hosts come on closer to the front. And the rest of you, if you will move on out to the foyer, thank you.